Hello, I'm Steve Davis. Welcome to this podcast for Australia's National Centre for Vocational Education Research. It's widely accepted that Indigenous Australians experience poorer educational outcomes, employment, and economic status than do non-Indigenous Australians. Efforts to redress this inequity must find ways to balance two seemingly contrasting objectives: preservation of Indigenous culture on one hand. And closing the gap in the living standards of Indigenous and non-Indigenous people on the other.、And、there've always been two main approaches to this challenge: assimilation of Indigenous people into mainstream society, or maintenance by Indigenous people of a more traditional life, which has been characterised by cooperation and coexistence between members, with less emphasis on individual ownership and possessions. Now, while many would argue that education and training is vital for raising of living standards for all members of society, there is a prevalent view that for Indigenous people, attachment to their culture acts as a barrier to economic success. In this podcast, I interview Mike Dockery from Curtin Business School about the paper "Cultural Dimensions of Indigenous Participation in Education and Training." In the paper, Mike explores whether attachment to traditional Indigenous culture helps or hinders engagement with education and training, and attempts to measure its impact. I began by asking Mike, what prompted this research in the first place? When you look back at this, culture's been central. It's, it's often called the cultural wars, the, the debate about what we should do with Indigenous affairs. And, and almost either camp, you know, the, the people who believe in self-determination, they say, well, sure, our culture might be a bit of a barrier, but that's for us to choose. You know, we value it, so we want to keep it. And the other camp says, well, no, you know, culture's a problem. We've got to get them out of their culture and and get them on with achieving income and and jobs and so on. So both sides sort of have this assumption that culture is a barrier. Uh, but I've never seen any empirical evidence on this, so that's what brought me around trying to actually measure it and, and model how it affects outcomes. Now, of course, this work is based in Australia, a very large peach, uh, piece of turf here on this planet. So, what role does this sheer distance, this tyranny of distance, if you like, have within this debate? The, I guess, this is the divide between remote and non-remote Australians. Yeah, that's very very difficult because, of course, you know, a lot of indigenous culture or an important element of indigenous culture is attachment to their traditional lands, their homelands, and where, of course, there isn't the same infrastructure and access to things like education and health and, and so on in those remote areas. Then, in that sense, they do face a trade-off. And if you just look at the straight relationships between、um, what I've actually measured is indigenous attachment to indigenous culture. I don't really say what what culture is, but I'm. I, I measure people's attachment to it, Indigenous peoples, and if you just look at the straight relationship, there's a negative relationship. Those with stronger attachment to their culture have lower, you know, educational outcomes, less participation in VT. But that's simply because the people in remote areas are the ones with the strongest attachment, and they have the lower access. So once you actually control and, and look separately at the metropolitan areas and the you know inner regional and outer regional areas, then you in fact find there's a positive relationship between culture and, and participation in education. And in fact, in all areas, even in remote and very remote areas, there's a positive relationship where people with a stronger attachment to their culture were more likely to have completed high school. Although for further qualifications in remote areas, the, the relationship's a bit weaker. All right, we'll delve into that in just a moment. But and I know you said you haven't really tried to define culture, but for the purpose of this paper, how did you、uh, work out what people were talking about in saying attachment to culture? Yeah, this this is、um, 
a bit, I guess it's got to be considered a bit experimental because there hasn't been a lot of measurement of culture in the literature that I could really follow and, and certainly not of indigenous culture. But you look through the discussion of um, what, what culture is and typically there's, there's sort of two elements of it. You say, well, if we're going to call a group of people of a culture, you've got to say, well, what is it about them that connects them? You know, are they from the same country? Do they speak the same language? What is it that connects them? So that's one dimension. And then you say, well, what is it they do differently that distinguishes their culture? You know, do they have different um, worshipping practices or, or, you know, what, what is different about their culture from, from just mainstream culture if they're a minority? So in my cases, I was, I was working with data from an Indigenous survey, the National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Social Survey. Sorry, it's a bit of a mouthful from the Australian Bureau of Statistics. So all the people in the survey were Indigenous. So my connectors were there. You know, that, that's what connects the group there that they self-identify as Indigenous. So the second part of the dimension is, and of my definition that I'm using, is culture is, is a difference in, in, in preferences and values and beliefs. And it's transmitted generationally, is, is the definition I, I use. So we're not talking about youth culture or pop culture. We're talking about something that's fairly long-term and is, is defined by idiosyncratic, you know, sort of text or dance or languages. So there's symbols and things that define this group that make them different from the other. So all my people are, indi all the people are Indigenous, and what I'm measuring is their attachment to their culture. So it's things like whether they speak a language, whether they identify with homelands and with clan and language groups, whether they participate in ceremonies and festivals and art. So it, it fits in, in nicely with the, cult, with the definition um, and I've got all those questions in, in, in the NATSIS survey. Mm -hmm. And so looking at this attachment to Indigenous culture, how have we learned? How has it interacted with Indigenous people's accessing of or engagement with education and training? Right, yeah. Well, well th this is the, ma the main point. Um, as I said, the, the assumption has always seemed to be that Indigenous culture is a barrier. It's part of the problem. Um, but when you actually look at, at this evidence, and, and there isn't, as far as I know, well, very little evidence um, other than this. It's in fact a positive effect. Okay, so so culture seems to improve educational outcomes. It improves. Um, there's higher rates of participation in vocational education and training. Um, people who participate in that training are more likely to use that training. So it actually seems, you know, completely the opposite to the assumption. Um, culture seems to actually help people engage with um, education and training. And, and probably one of the very rare points of consensus in this whole debate is that education is good. Education and training should be, you know, part of the solution, an important part of the solution. So my evidence is, you know, completely against this idea that the culture acts as a barrier, that there's something in Indigenous culture that acts as a barrier to pursuing education and training. Have you been able to hypothesise about that positive relationship between attachment to culture and furthering an Indigenous person's engagement with and continuing uh, with educational uh, pathways? Yeah, a, a little. I, when you think about the relationship, there's, there's sort of two, um, two ways it could arise. Okay? One is that culture itself has an enabling effect that helps people achieve more education and participation and training and so on. The other is that they actually use the education and training system um, to, to engage their culture. So the causality runs the other way. So people with high culture say, well, I want to do a course in music or, or arts and, and I want to engage my culture and pursue my culture. Okay, so, and, or, or both could be true. And I think the evidence is fairly clear that there's a bit of both, okay? 
Indigenous people are more likely to participate in those areas that you would expect related to their culture, like art, um, like like education and society, those sort of fields of qualification. So they do seem to, you know, engage in training as part of pursuing and hopefully preserving their culture. But there's also evidence of this enabling effect. For example, as I said, more likely to complete high school. Clearly, you would think that that's an enabling positive effect. And they're also more likely people who have. Um, undertaken vocational education training courses, people with stronger attachment to their culture are more likely to have undertaken numeracy and literacy courses, numeracy and English literacy. So again, this is consistent with what we would see as as an enabling effect that's going to improve outcomes. And when you actually look at, I have also looked at wider outcomes, socioeconomic outcomes, things like like health, um, employment, even things like um, substance abuse and the probability of being imprisoned. And this applies to all those other areas. So I think it's something, it's something quite innate. It relates to an important thing and important part of what, you know, um, improves people's life, basically. And I think it's to do with self-esteem and self-identity. Those people with attachment to their culture have stronger self-esteem, stronger identity, um, and, and that's why there's this enabling effect in so many areas. But as you say, that, that's very much hypothesising, yeah. And, and the data that you've been looking at, uh, of course you're looking at socioeconomic outcomes, focusing more on the economic end, is there some link between, I guess we measure economic ends primarily in terms of money. Uh, can you talk to that? I haven't actually looked at income um, and, you know, we all know in, in relative terms, Indigenous Australians compared to non-Indigenous Australians, you know, the, the gap is quite deplorable whether you look at income or employment or health. You know, suicide, you, you pick your measure. And um, the employment, I, I do find a positive effect and the education and training, the positive link would suggest that's going to improve employment and earnings outcomes down the track. But more in other areas, which, which what I was really trying to measure was well-being, quality of life, and I didn't actually have that variable in the data. But it applies to things that we would relate to well-being, like, like for example, health. So reflecting back on what you found, what does this suggest to government in setting policy? Is there anything it, it talks directly to, to government about? Yeah, a couple of points on that. In, in a way, it's a bit of a, I think the findings are a bit of a tick for the delivery of education and training in Australia. Um, there's still a lot to be done, and of course, you know, there's an enormous gap between, for example, school retention rates for Indigenous Australians and so on. But when you think about it, if vocational education training was delivered in a way that was culturally insensitive, was inappropriate for culture, then you would expect a negative relationship between cultural attachment and, and participation. But I get the opposite. So the fact that I, I don't get a negative is, well, you know, maybe it's too generous to call it a tick because we know there are so many problems for Indigenous Australians, but but it, it's, an, it's not a cross anyway. It, uh, and I was probably a bit surprised by that. That's not what I expected when I started doing the research. But the other, uh, some other implications are, are clearly that um, there is a trade-off between culture, Indigenous people, um, staying attached to their culture and edu- participation in education and training simply because of the remoteness. So there's a big access issue that disadvantages people of strong attachment to culture. But it's not because there's anything in, in the culture that, that, you know, that goes against achieve, achievement in education. It, it, it's the remoteness. And the other clear indication is, is that if we want to improve education and training and 
therefore employment income outcomes, then we should be drawing on culture. We should be using it as a way to improve outcomes for Indigenous people rather than, than seeing it as a problem. We've recently seen, for example, the Northern Territory say, well, you know, we've, we've just got to stop teaching language, Indigenous languages and culture. You know, they've thrown that out of the Northern Territory schools. We're going to concentrate on English and numeracy. My evidence and the other evidence I see says this is going to have exactly the opposite effect. It's going to make it harder for Indigenous people to fit in and to achieve in education. And so that from a, that's from a government point of view. You're looking more, if you're imagining you were running an institution within the VET sector itself. What would you be thinking about at the moment as far as your, your course material, your delivery, the, those sorts of things? Yeah, I think the, the important thing in delivering it, um, and this it's probably more important at the younger ages, um, you know, school and high school. Um, it's important that each individual's sort of, um, you know, identity is affirmed and respected for them to try and feel like they fit in. Um, but there are different ways in, in how Indigenous people, or it's probably a bit out of my area of expertise, but believe to be different ways of how Indigenous people um, learn and, and, and participate. For example, they, they tend not to be competitive, you know, how we like to get, you know, who's going to top the class this week and you're going to get a star and that's great. Indigenous people wouldn't really respond to that. They more prefer cooperative arrangements, you know, where they work together and where there's a clear outcome, a clear goal, whereas we sort of do things in a lot of abstract sort of sort of ways and models and things like that, particularly in my field of economics, of course. And, you know, in, so there's different ways that um, things could be uh, I guess the course and the curriculum could be set so it a, it recognises in you know indigenous people and and you know um, is sensitive to their identity um, and and perhaps in the way they learn as well. You could almost suggest that there's going to be some insights flowing back the other direction. Well, exactly, and, and certainly I think uh, when you think about a lot of the problems we have in society today, for example, you know working ridiculous long hours pursuing consumerism that doesn't really make it ha make us happy and um you know environmental challenges and so on we we really could have learned a lot from the indigenous people thanks for listening to this podcast produced by the national center for vocational education research to download your copy of cultural dimensions of indigenous participation in education and training go to www.ncver.edu.au